You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So if you have your copy of scripture, let's stand up one more time. Let's hear from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and hear this wonderful story of the lame beggar healed. Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let's pray. Oh God, bring wonder and amazement to our lives. Help us, God, to experience you. And Lord, I pray today you will show us this beautiful truth of your work and power and how it comes in such ordinary ways. Lord, help us to be faithful that we may see your work. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, if you are a Christ follower and here with us today, I would, I would hope that you want to have more of God in your lives, that you would like to see God do more today and tomorrow than you saw yesterday and the days before. That's what we want. And I think that in America, many Christian brothers and sisters are just trying to kick down the door of revival. We're going to do whatever it takes to get to that place where we see revival, but I'm afraid that maybe we're trying to kick the door in a way that God doesn't want us to kick the door. I think the Lord has a way of showing us in his word that slowing down and calming down, lowering the spiritual pulse is what we have to learn how to do if we really want to experience God. Now, I know that sounds counterintuitive, but just stick with me. I want you to see in this text how that's exactly what's going on. Trust me, if we are committed to the Father's business, the Father will rock our world. You don't have to worry about the power of God rocking your world. It will happen, but it needs to happen on God's timetable. You see, God is always up to something, and we should not be all that surprised that Peter and John get to be a part of a healing miracle. Peter and John were followers of a man named Jesus. And this man named Jesus just happened to go places and see people healed. People who had been paralyzed, people who had been lame from birth, they were touched by Jesus and healed. These men go into this temple and we see this same exact kind of miracle, so we shouldn't be all that surprised. But there are some surprising elements. 
But let me say this before I get into those surprising things. It's just as simple as this. In Acts 3, we see Jesus' followers doing Jesus' things. So let me encourage you today. One of the most important things you can do is to just do the things that Jesus would do. It is about that simple. Jesus was a man of compassion. He was a man who taught the word. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of action. But all of those actions are always, I think, driven by the most basic elements of spirituality. That's what we want to get here today. These miracles that we're going to talk about, not just in Acts 3, but the miracles of Acts many times flow from ordinary days. The common experiences of life, it's almost like you don't see it coming. Back in 1989, Ford Motor Company decided to bless the world with this automobile. Those of you who remember the late 80s, remember cars that look something like this. This is the beautiful, blessed Ford Taurus. Now, Ford Taurus is basic transportation. It was never really meant to be any more than that. That is a four-door car. It is a cheese box on wheels. It is not exciting. But somebody at Ford Motor Company one day, they were sitting around in a boardroom, and someone said, let's do this. Let's put a rocket engine in a Ford Taurus. And so they put this thing called an SHO together, I guess a show. From what I understand, it was a Yamaha engine, and that thing was fast. Now, I was never one of those guys that was out driving cars too fast when I was a kid. But I remember one of my friends just happened to have one of these four-door cars, and it was the fastest car in town. Now, that don't look like much. But before the Ford Taurus was finished in its run, they could do 0 to 60 in 5.2 seconds. That's pretty quick. Now, why in the world do you need to go to the grocery store, 0 to 60, in 5.2 seconds? Nobody ever explained that. But I want you to think about this for a moment, and I hope you'll, you'll grab what I'm trying to lay out, because right now you all just look lost as can be, okay? Trust me, there's a point in this. I believe that Peter and John are the Ford Tauruses of the first century. I don't think there was anything really special about what what they were teaching or any kind of ministry paradigm they had. But I want to tell you something. When the Holy Spirit revved them up, revival was on the way. You see, these were ordinary men. Ordinary men that had a powerful engine. These were ordinary men who had a powerful purpose. And when the Holy Spirit got a hold of them, then revival began to come not only to the church, but to the community of Jerusalem and eventually to the whole world. What we need to realize is, is that this story is not about the manufacturing of a revival, not in the least. Peter and John are just living faithful lives for Jesus, and then revival finds them. This is what Christians do. Christians are to live normal Christian lives until they experience the extraordinary power of Jesus. Live ordinary and expect the extraordinary That's what this passage will tell us. We don't need to kick down any doors. We don't need to worry about any of that. No, all we need to do is be faithful to Jesus. Follow Jesus and you will find the miracle. So let's begin by trying to discover what that looks like. How can we, as a church, as Christians in the church, experience the miracle-working power of God? I want to begin with telling you it all begins with daily rhythms. The daily rhythms of the spiritual life is what will lead to dynamic 
possibilities. I'm going to give you two quotes that come from a lovely little book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. A guy by the name of John Mark Comer. Several of you I know have read this book. There's two quotes I want to give you. The first is, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And the second one is an old Finnish proverb. God did not create hurry. Now, of course, that came from Finland because that is a land of ice. So you don't get anywhere fast in a land of ice. But nonetheless, those two things. I want you to get those two thoughts in your mind. Young was right. Uh, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil. And God did not create hurry. I think these are two lines that we need today because we're always, whether we're talking about our jobs, our families, and even our church, we're all trying to find the fast track to better. But I think God's word is showing us today that there isn't a fast track to the good things of God. There is just peace and patience and kindness, those sorts of things. Now, it's about three o'clock in the afternoon, and the Jewish people would have called that the hour of prayer. Now, I want to point out some things to you, what's going on here, because it's important. Peter and John didn't wake up that morning and say, let's go heal somebody. That was not the purpose. They were going about their normal spiritual activities, their normal routines of life. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, if you were a practicing Jew, which at this time, these individuals would have said that. They would not have had this dichotomy between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. They saw that Jesus was the completion of that Hebrew faith. So they were living their lives and they were going to church. They were going to church for the hour of prayer. Prayer was just baked into the cake for them. That was their lives. This was the normal thing. But let me tell you something else that was a normal part of that particular day in that particular place. We're up on the Temple Mount. We're, on, uh, we're in what is known as Herod's Temple. But there was this gate called the Beautiful Gate. And there was a man who every day, this was his normal thing, he would come there. He was a man lame from birth, we are told in verse 2. And he would be there at that gate begging. Now, I want you to just pause with me for a moment and realize two things. The main characters of our story here are not doing anything out of the ordinary. We have Peter and John going to the hour of prayer, which they did every day. And we have a man who has been lame since birth going to his place of begging every day. It is the most simple it's the most everyday kind of thing. Nothing extraordinary. Everything that's happening here is ordinary. And I want to tell you, Peter and John had probably walked this way many times before. My guess is they had seen this man begging many times before. And this is why they didn't have any gold coins or silver. They were smart enough not to bring money into the temple because they knew they'd give it all away. So they didn't even have any money, verse 6 tells us. But let's think about it this way. A spiritual daily rhythm will lead us to something better than silver or gold can buy. If you do not have a daily walk with Jesus, let me tell you, you are spiritually poor. You may have all the money in the world, but if you don't have a daily walk with Jesus, you are spiritually poor. And as we see this particular instance, on this particular day at the temple gate called Beautiful, we realize that there's a man here that needs more than silver or gold. Let me say this to you as well. As we go through the book of Acts, we see certain themes. One scholar puts it, puts it this way. Dramatic divine interventions take place during times of prayer. I think this is important because we need to realize that the power that we see in the early church is driven by prayer. 
people praying changes everything, even to the point where a man who was lame from the time he was born was healed. I don't know about you, but I would think the world would look at us praying and say, that seems so ordinary. What does that do? But we know that extraordinary things seem to flow from prayer. I want to also just point out something else in the text. It is to our shame as Christians that when we read the, the Gospels and the, and the book of Acts, we often see the Jewish people as kind of the enemies of the church. And it's never, it was not written that way. It just happens that the opposition in those early days did come from the temple and from the scribes and from those quarters. But I want you to notice something here. This particular lame person, lame man, had individuals who loved him enough to take him into the temple every day so that he could make a little bit of money. There was great compassion in the Hebrew culture for those who were lame or disadvantaged. You do not see this in the Greek or Roman culture of the day. This was not happening in Rome. This would not have been happening in Athens, but it was happening in Jerusalem. These people love this man enough. And I want you to think about this. The, the temple is up on a hill. So if you're going to take a lame man to this particular gate, it's all upstairs or downstairs. It's the weight of a human being who cannot support his own weight. They would have been dirty, sweaty, hot work, and yet they did it every day. Everybody in this is showing some discipline. The disciples, the discipline of a prayer life, of being with God every day. On the other hand, we see these Hebrew brothers loving someone and serving their hurting brother enough, loving him enough to get him in that place where he could at least make a few coins in a day and survive. I'm here to tell you, friends, when it comes to what Christianity looks like at its best, this is it. It doesn't have to have any uh, fog machines or pyrotechnics, fireworks. It doesn't need to have any fireworks. What it needs to have, it needs to have people who are serious about prayer and worship and people who are serious about serving the needs of their community. So this is nothing extraordinary. This is the basics. This is the ABCs of following God, of trusting in Jesus. When we talk about what this world needs, it doesn't need us to have some gimmick. We just need to be filled with God. And if we're filled with God, we pray and we serve. That's what's going on in this text. These men are inspired by the God of mercy. They treasure hurting souls enough to work for hurting souls. Peter and John treasure prayer enough and worship enough to be in the temple praying with their brothers and sisters. These were people doing ordinary things, doing their normal thing, and that sets up the stage for a God thing. Don't go chasing the miracle, just keep walking with Jesus. The church today doesn't need to chase miracles. It needs to chase after Christ. If we will chase after Christ, he will give us the miracles we need and when we need it. We are in a hurry to find the next thing. God just wants you to find the right thing. We need to pray, read the word, be generous to those in need and worship. We are in a hurry and have lost the holy sway of spiritual rhythms. I wanted to use that language because I think it's the language the church today needs to hear. The holy sway of spiritual rhythms. 
Uh, It sounds like something you get out of New Orleans or something like that, but I want you to hear me. I believe that so much of our Christian life right now just doesn't have any rhythm. It doesn't have anything but loudness, and it's just one period after another. Go, 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 and then you're just collapsed. It's not that you're resting. You're just collapsing. And that's not a spiritual rhythm. Spiritual rhythm isn't wear yourself out, sleep a little bit, and then do it again. We need to find a way to have a rhythm in our lives where we are just worshiping God. And listen, if you are trying really hard to to, to please God and to be where he wants you, I appreciate that. But really what God wants you to do are the simple things. Are you praying? Are you in the word? Are you looking for human need around you? If you will just do those things, I'm telling you, God will start working. That's what we need. Speed does violence to our souls. We lack dynamism. We're not dynamic as a church. We're not dynamic as a Christian if we are moving too fast. I talk to so many of us that have been Christians for a long time, some of us for years, some of us for decades, and we just don't have any strength or power. We are, are really just this close to giving up, maybe not on church, but maybe just giving up on a ministry we're doing or, or whatever it may be. Listen, when you're feeling that kind of burnout, when you're feeling chaos in your heart, sure, you can point around and say, well, it could be this and it could be this, but most of the time, it's this. Your rhythms are out of whack. You are not doing the basics well. Talk of revival is spreading across our land, and I love that. I love it that people are talking about revival. People in our world, in our country, that are evangelical Christians want to see God move. We saw an amazing thing happening with students over in Kentucky that spread around to some other campuses. I thank God for that. And we want to see those sorts of things continue. But here's the deal. People are trying to move to be where God is moving. Like there's a special place or a special person that it's all centered around. And we've got to find that. And we've got to go there and be a part of that. Listen, don't go trying to find the place of power. But stay where you are. Find God. Let, or better yet, let him find you. Be still long enough that he can find you. And then you'll have some dynamic power. Slow down your pace that you may seek something higher. So what is that higher thing that we can experience? We need to seek higher expectations. Now, I'm going to give you another quote from Comer. He says, if you worship money, it will eat you alive. That does not sound fun. I don't want to be eaten alive. Now, here's the deal. We need money to live. There's no doubt about it. But the lame man had no way to make a living. Thus, the lame man had to make a living begging. This story has nothing to do with greed or affluence. Peter and John, typical here, they don't have any money to give, but they have something else that they share, the gospel. This story is about human need, and yes, it has a physical uh, dimension, but it also has a very spiritual dimension. I want you to see this. Um, How many people's greatest expectations seem to have a price tag attached to it? Now, the reason I pose the question in that way is because it does seem that, that this lame man, he had no other way to think about it. His expectations were no higher than silver or gold. Like that was going to solve the problem. He knew better than that. It was just about daily survival. But I think the word is challenging us here that that's never enough. 
you're never going to have enough coins in your pocket to be happy in your heart. That's something that I think that this story is telling us on the side. We settle for less when we think we need more material things. Higher expectations are in the spiritual realm. Now, this lame man, he came to beg so that he could eat, and there is no shame in that. This man did what he had to do to earn a few coins to pay for a few calories. I want you to see, there is no, there is no backup system. The government did not provide any food or resources. There was nothing to do but die, to starve, if you did not eat day after day. That's what's going on here. The expectations that the lame man brought were very low by necessity. If he thought every day something big was going to happen, he would have given up a long time ago. His expectations were low. But he evidently pestered some guys enough to keep taking him to the temple every day. He was in the right place at the right time for God to show up. Friends, I know this. I'm pretty convinced of this. We come to church as Christians in America today with low expectations. We are not expecting anything spectacular, and usually that's what we get. But here's the deal. Keep coming. Keep being faithful. And if you will do that, those low expectations might get blown out of the water. On this regular sort of day, a day when everyone was just doing their normal thing, Peter and John were praying, and this man was begging, the Spirit of God showed up. Let's look at the scene a little more carefully here in verses 4 through 6. Look in verse 4. Peter and John have seen this man before. I'm almost convinced of that. This would have not have been an unfamiliar face. And we see in these verses, verses 4 and 5, a sort of spiritual visual showdown. Notice the words gaze and look at, verse 4. Verse 5, fixed his attention. Everything here is very, very visible or visually oriented. It's like Peter and John, they didn't just see. You know, sometimes you see something. And then other times you really see it. Have, have there been those times maybe at work where, where maybe you've walked by the same uh, wall a hundred times and then one day you realize there's a painting there that you, that, that, that's really beautiful or something like that. I think sometimes it's not that we don't see it, it's just that we don't compute it. Well, for whatever reason, this day, Peter and John saw exactly where God was working. That's all we know. They were going to pray, but they somehow knew. God spoke. And this man, the lame man, was expecting a coin or two. He didn't expect to be healed. But notice what Peter says, verse 6. I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, Peter has something more than silver or gold. He has Jesus. Those who have Jesus want to share Jesus. That's what Peter does. On the simplest level, Peter shares Jesus. Now, I want you to realize this. When we share Jesus, we share life. We look at this story, and we are most interested, if we're honest, we're most interested in the fact that a man born lame now leaps up. That's what everybody wants to see. But what this story is telling us is that the significant thing that happened was in the name of Jesus. The significant thing was the power of Jesus. We know this is true because later when Peter and John are in trouble in the Sanhedrin, they keep saying, listen, 
Are you getting on to us for doing a good deed? And by the way, the power isn't ours. It is Jesus's. Well, guess what? They didn't like that. But that's what they said because it was the truth. I want to show you this too. It was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is his personal name. Uh, it is a common name or would have been a common name there in Jerusalem in those days. But that's his common name. We see Jesus Christ. Now that's a little different. That's telling us that Peter and John know him to be the Messiah that was promised from the Old Testament. But why does he mention Nazareth? Well, Nazareth points to the fact that Jesus was a man, that he came from Galilee, from a normal part of Israel, really a backwater area of Israel, nothing fancy. I think, honestly, as I look at this text, the reason why they emphasize Nazareth is because it reminds us that Jesus came from a common place. This whole story is about people doing a common thing, going to pray every day. Other people doing a common thing, being kind to a hurting soul. And Jesus was one of us. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. There wasn't anything spectacular about his presence. He wasn't a foot taller than everybody else. He wasn't the most handsome guy in town. He was just the son of God in the flesh. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You see, Jesus came and not too many people thought much about him. In fact, during his lifetime, only a few hundred people really followed him the expectations were low. Can you imagine Peter and John starting a movement and saying that the founder had, had been not only not that successful with how many people he would get to come to church, if we want to use the modern language, but not only that, he was killed for what he taught. It doesn't look like this movement's going anywhere. And then God shows up through the power of the Holy Spirit and the expectations go through the roof because God gets involved. What makes a difference in the church today is not our hard work. It's whether or not we will let God get involved. That's what we see in the text. This lame man wanted a coin. Instead, he got Jesus, something infinitely better. And I think it's true that most of us have some money to live on, but we have no power in Jesus' name. In America, we don't have people necessarily at the gates begging at, in the churches. Now, we have people that are hurting all around us, so don't get me wrong. I know there's a whole other sermon to be preached on poverty and our view of it. But in the American church today, it's not like the American church is starving. Unless we want to talk about spiritual things. And then, guess what? The American church is starving. We have resources, but we have no power. We have uh, all these things going for us, but what we tend to do is bicker and fight about inconsequential material things at the expense of spiritual things. Now, I'm speaking broadly. I'm not speaking of our congregation per se, but I'm saying if you get a few different church pastors together in any one denomination, you'll have about 20 different opinions. We're, we're so busy trying to, to figure out a way that we may have just lost Christ's way. And I want to say this, we need to just simplify in this regard. We need to be asking for the power that comes in Jesus' name alone. This is what it takes, us just humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, show us what you want from us. We need to have our expectations much higher, actually. We need, we need the will of Jesus taking over our church our expectations have been so low. We measure success in so many ways that are not right or holy. We are settling for second best. The famous line from C.S. Lewis, he, he told the story of little kids who were playing in the alley making mud pies. 
And a parent comes and says, hey, we don't need to stay here in the alley making mud pies. Let's go down to the beach and make castles in the sand. And the little kid, not knowing what he's turning down, says, no, I think I'll stay and play in the mud. Lewis is right. Christians today are being offered by the Heavenly Father this amazing power and glory in his name. But we seem to be quite content with making and eating mud pies. We have something better. Let's believe that if we will do ordinary things, God will do extraordinary things for us in our lives and around us. So let us finish with this idea, what you need more than anything. Charles Spurgeon put it well. He said, I worship a God I never expect to comprehend. Look at the last few words of our text. We are told in verse 10 that everybody was filled with wonder and amazement. A little after 3 p.m. on a regular day, we see a man who was lame from birth walk, leap, and praise God in worship. The power came in the name of Jesus. Peter lifted up this man, and the miracle was there for everyone to see. This was not a miracle that happened in a corner. It happened at a gate. It happened at a main place where many people could see it. God's power was revealed to many, many people that day. And the culmination of the miracle is this wonderful story of praise and worship. God's people are energized by this because this man, you know, he needed healing. He needed something special. And the church needed to see that God has all power. I wonder what you need. I wonder where your heart is. I can't help but think that many of us will come into a room like this week after week with hurts and brokenness, physical issues perhaps, but mental issues, emotional, spiritual issues, undoubtedly. This world will bruise you, brother. It will break you, sister. It will hurt us all, brothers and sisters. And I'm telling you that, that we do need a miracle. We do need revival in our land. And I know and I understand why some churches and denominations and groups are trying so hard to kick down the door of revival. If you are doing what I do, what we do as pastors, you're seeing brokenness every day and it doesn't slow down, it only speeds up. And when you are in a desperate place, you'll say, Lord, please bring revival. We want to see it happen, but here we cannot manufacture that. What we must do is continue to walk with the Lord. The true miracle is this. When God shows up it's not just the physical manifestations of his power notice this when God really shows up he shows up and people start getting saved people turn from their sins their brokenness no longer defines them but what defines them is Jesus that's what we need more than anything else church I think we've been called to walk for the layman, that was a big deal. For us, we just need to understand that walking means to commit our hearts to Jesus and to his church, to fellowshipping one with another, to one-on-one -on -one discipleship, to just basic attendance, making church a priority. That's what the walk is. Another part of the walk is daily in the word. If I could talk with each one of you individually and I'd say, what is one of the most basic elements of following Christ? You would tell me that reading your Bible and prayer are two of the most base elements of your walk. But most of you, if you're honest with me, are not walking with the Lord in that way. You are not in the Bible every day and you're not praying every day. The most basic elements of your faith, you are not walking in an everyday fashion. Listen, if you really want revival, start walking with Jesus. 
Don't try to leap first. Start walking with Jesus. Do the simple things like church, Bible study, prayer. That's where it starts. Those are ordinary things. Listen, if you can pray 30 seconds today, whereas yesterday you didn't pray any seconds, that's 30 seconds more you spent with Jesus. If tomorrow you can work in 45 seconds, that means you got 15 more seconds with Jesus. Keep building on it. Read a verse today. Tomorrow read two. Get a chapter in by the end of the month. Whatever it takes, start being deliberate in your walk. It is not enough for us to just say we want revival. We have to get into these spiritual rhythms. This man walked, he leapt, and he praised God. Follow Jesus, friends, and I'm telling you, the miracle will find you. Now hear me out. In the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the purpose of this miracle. Ten verses telling the story of a miracle. And then we see the rest of the chapter. Notice, all the way to the end, verse 26, we have the explanation, the purpose, why this happened. This is key. All throughout Acts, really the the whole Bible, when miracles occur, there's explanation. God is always teaching us. But we must open our ears, our eyes. We must open our heart to what he has to teach us. Before we leave, please hear me. I believe that God, just like he did through Peter and John, can do miracles like this. I believe in the miracle working power of God. But I've lived long enough and seen enough things to know this. The most powerful thing I've ever witnessed is a sinner saying, I turn from my sins and I believe in Jesus. The most powerful miracle of all can happen right now if you will cast your cares upon Christ. If you will let him take the burden of your sins, that is the greatest miracle in the universe. And here you are, an ordinary day. It's not even Easter anymore. Well, it is if you're Eastern Orthodox, but anyway, it's not even Easter anymore. And here you are, just showing up on a regular day. But if the Spirit of God is telling you that Jesus is your Lord and you've not received him, guess what? Today is a day of miracles. A day for you to walk and leap and praise God. Will you come to him now as we pray? Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.